What is up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time, a podcast put on by Arnold and Porter's Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Group. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. Glad to be back with you all. And I am more glad to have a special guest today from our DC office, the extraordinary Kristen Riemenschneider. Kristen, welcome into the podcast. Uh, thank you. I've never been introduced in such a way before. That was very exciting. Well, uh, we've had some world champions on the podcast, but you are equally as interesting and exciting. And I am thrilled to have you here because the topic of discussion is going to be something that is super interesting, but also really relevant to what's happening in the world today. So you are the perfect guest to have right now. So I'm really thankful that you would give us some of your time today. So Kristen, welcome in. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I'm very excited to talk about all the things. I feel like I should have dressed accordingly. I have listened to some of your prior podcasts that everybody should catch up on. And I understand that guests wore much more interesting hair pieces than I currently sport. But if you want to know more about that, you go have to go listen to the old podcasts. Oh, thank you for the plug, Kristen. I appreciate it. Yeah, we are only on audio, not video, even though I can see you right now. That's uh, right. And you can see me. The, we just did a podcast where I was talking about the fact that I haven't really cut my hair since COVID uh, and it's causing problems for my headset. But Maybe in a, in a couple of weeks, I'm actually going to visit the salon. No. You, on the other hand, look like you are actually going into work. No, uh, no, seeing no. Humans. no. I cut my hair myself. I have become my family's stylist now. I cut my hair. I cut my kid's hair. I shaved a lightning bolt into my son's hair the other day. Cause Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Honest to God. Even my mother-in-law, like in the height of the pandemic, was dragging me down to her house two hours away to cut her hair outside masked on. She says we <laughs> right. wouldn't let her go to the salon multi-skilled Kristen Schneider, <laughs> not, not, yes. not just your lawyer, but your hairdresser too. Although I like your it. hairdresser. I can't tell. I mean, the, this, it's because uh, really it's curly. It all you got, of... you got a lightning bolt. That's pretty awesome. Well, not in my hair, in my son's no, no. hair. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it'd be cool in your hair too. I did have pink hair for a while at the firm. See, we're going totally off track now, but I had pink hair and one of our colleagues uh, was giving me my performance review when I was an associate and he kind of turned and he looked sideways and he just dead stop in the middle of my performance review. Do you have pink hair? And I said, yep. Yes, I do. And he said, huh? And then we just kept going. Like nothing had happened. He's like making a mental note. Like, <laughs> hmm, interesting. Yeah. It's like, I'm not really sure what to do with this person. All right. We can talk some substance. So Kristen, I think the, the places that I want to start with you is where you went to high school. Oh, okay. I thought it was pretty amazing because you went to what I believe is still the number one ranked high school in the entire country, the Thomas Jefferson High School for Science Technology. Was it number one when you went there? It was number one when I went there. So I was an Air Force brat um, and I went to 13 schools before I went to high school. And my dad got stationed at the Pentagon and... Um, I was faced with a, a public school that was kind of rough. And my parents said that my choices were to go to Catholic school, Paul VI, or to go to TJ. And I was, you know, 12 years old, whatever. And I was like, Ugh, I don't want to go to Catholic school. I'll just, fine, I'll go to TJ. You can't have pink hair at Catholic school. No, probably not, no. Um, and so I applied to TJ and it's kind of similar to a college application process. There was an exam, there were essays, everything else. And the crazy thing was, and this would never, ever, ever happen now, 
my math scores were in like the 60th percentile, but my English scores were in the 98th percentile. So somehow I got accepted, which again, seriously would never happen now. Um, and I went there and my junior year of high school, the air force tried to transfer my dad. And I was like, well, I'm not leaving. So my dad got an extension, um, and it rolled around to November of my senior year. And my dad got orders to be shipped to England. And I was like, no, seriously, I'm not leaving. Like you made me go to this high school. It's been really hard. I'm staying. So I was 16 years old and I moved in with some neighbors and my parents moved to England with my younger brother. He was six. Um, they left me my mom's car and they like paid these neighbors to give me food and shelter and all this kind of stuff. And they were gone. Um, See, this is this is cool. This is why I ask these questions because that this story went off on a tangent that I had no no idea. Because <laughs> if you go like on our website and it's like Kristen Riemenschneider and she does this legal thing and went yeah. to these schools, they don't know you moved in with a neighbor when you were sixteen by choice. And they were like neighbors that I really didn't know, but they had a daughter who was the same age as me, who had gone to the high school that my parents said I couldn't go to, and she was infinitely cooler than I was. In fact, she probably had pink hair back then. Like she was a skateboarder. She was super cool. I was going to this nerd high school, like doing all this science and tech stuff. <laughs> so I lived in like traumatized fear of her, even though she was a very lovely person. I was just being a 16 year old judgmental kind of person. Um, but yeah, so I lived with these people. They kind of just let me come and go as I pleased. And I had a, a car and I had a job and I just kind of did whatever I wanted until graduation. You were a responsible engineering focused student, right? So you didn't get into the pink hair type trouble just yet. No, I got into zero trouble. The worst thing that happened was that I became sort of a slob. Like my room was no longer clean. And I remember my parents flew back for graduation and my mom was horrified that I was living in someone else's house and my room was a mess, but like, that was the worst thing I did. So, uh, if your dad was in the Air Force, my dad was also in the service. Are you a USAA member? Yes. Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, I love USA. All right. Shameless plug for USA. That's right. I yeah. have them for everything. That's yep. the best best thing my dad's passed down to me is the USA. That's what they say about the company's amazing. All right. It is pretty a- great. Yeah. All right. Well, you are doing now as a lawyer work in related to your high school. Why don't you tell us about that? So this is near and dear to my heart. Um So like I said, I probably would not have gotten into TJ now. And Thomas Jefferson was an amazing place when I went, I graduated in 98. And, um, when I, so you have to do this senior long technology project. This is going to be another diversion you weren't planning for Evan. I'm sorry, but that's that's all right. It's a podcast. We can do whatever the hell we want. We can do whatever we want. Um, so your senior year, you have to do this technology project. That's a lot like a thesis project and in college And you work on this research project of your own choosing for a year. And then, you know, lots of people have done it and gone up to do amazing things. I got to work with NASA, which I thought was amazing. I wrote the software program to analyze the amount of radiation that an astronaut would receive on a manned mission to Mars. I got to like hang out with astronauts. Oh, that's cool. It was crazy cool. And I got to leave school because I would go work on site every Wednesday and Friday from like 10 to five. So I got to leave school as a senior and go off and do all of these amazing things. And I remember interviewing Arnold and Porter and lawyers asking me about my experiences at TJ. So like 
I tell you all of this to convey that it was a completely magical place where I was exposed to the most amazing things. We had a crazy supercomputer, which probably is like less good than this laptop now, but at the time That's that was incredible. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. And unparalleled flexibility. It was just so my friends from high school are my closest friends to this day. So it was a beautiful place. And I suspect that part of the reason that I got in was at the time when I applied 93, 94, there was a place, uh, there was a program in place called visions and it supported children from different ethnic backgrounds, finding their way into the school. So kids who maybe had not heard of TJ or didn't really understand the application process or didn't have access to like the best middle schools in the counties, whatever. Those children were sought out, particularly those of different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, and they were sort of helped to get there. And you can't really tell by my last name or my appearance, but I am in fact Hispanic. My dad is Hispanic. Um, and, you know, three generations back, my grandfather grew up in a shack on the Texas-Mexico border. So my family does not have like this long history of having money. But I suspect based on my math scores or the, the relative lack of math scores on my standardized tests and the encouragement of people and this visions program and everything else, I was admitted to that high school. I ultimately graduated from college with a degree in electrical engineering at 19. And then I went on to have this amazing career at AMP. Which, which is a math-based degree. So yes. you obviously knew something or you learned a lot there. I, I learned how to work very hard at TJ. And I learned how to be stubborn and everything else. And that's what got me through college. Um, so I say all this to say that on paper, maybe I didn't look like the perfect applicant for TJ, but they let me in and I have done some pretty amazing things since then. But in 2002, I want to say there was a big sort of hubbub in Fairfax County where the school is located that this visions program was unfair, that it was unconstitutional, that we should not have programs in place designed to, to help particularly black and Hispanic children into the school. And that we really needed to adopt this merit-based system and merit was going to be determined by standardized test scores, grades, and essays. And that's it. And that's fine. Um, but since that time, the demographics of the school have shifted dramatically such that in the, the recent class of um, applicants admitted students there, I think they had 486 students admitted of whom fewer than 10 are black. They can't even tell you how many kids who've been admitted are black because it's fewer than 10 and it would be a violation of personal privacy. I think 16 children were Hispanic. Um, and so by and large, the demographics of the school have shifted so that it's 73% AAPI children and like 23% whites. And in connection with all of that, it has really shifted in favor of kids who have access to test prep for this application exam and kids who have parents and the resources that are able to get them into things like the math Olympiad and the science Olympiad. And, and when I went, you know, I took algebra in eighth grade. Now you have to have taken algebra the summer before sixth grade. And it's just this, wow, they're expecting that you will have taken geometry in seventh grade or possibly even algebra two in seventh grade 
which is ordinarily like 10th or 11th grade in the curriculum. Yeah, for, yeah normal public school curriculum. I think geometry is 10th grade, 9th or 10th grade. Yeah. And, and it is important to remember that this is, in fact, a public high school. Um, and so, you know, we've seen this whole shift where it's really these very well-resourced, supported kids who are getting in. And you see the population of Fairfax County, which has a very substantial Hispanic population, quite substantial Black population. I want to say it's like 20% Hispanic, 10% Black. None of these kids are getting in. And by and large, it correlates to them, maybe to their parents, not understanding how the system works or yeah, not having Yeah, it's really access. just test prep. Like yes. if you can learn to beat the test, you can beat the test and it takes resources to learn how to beat the test. Yes. And, and in the course of, of our current legal work, we have interviewed tons of students and they all say consistently, the ones who got in, their parents started test prepping them as early as like third grade. And in some cases, first grade. Well, so, you're making me feel really subconscious, self-conscious because I have kids that I'm not doing that for. Either. <laughs> 11 and 13, I feel like I need to end this podcast and go do yeah. some test prepping. <laughs> you should go do some test prep indeed. Um, but you should not do test prep because, well, I don't know. I honestly don't know what the answer is. To me, the answer is this is a public resource. Let's make this as widely available to as many children as possible. And the benchmark of merit should not be the level of resources that their parents are able to throw at them to help them get there, but really should be about finding the kids who would be well served by this opportunity. Now, this is almost like the high school level of the movement that's happening at, at the public university level, like in yep. Colorado here where I live, uh, the university system just did away with requiring the typical SAT, ACT standardized test scores. And I think the California public school system did the same thing. So this is like on the, the high school level, which is pretty interesting. So you are like representing kids. Like how are you like in lawsuits? What's, what's, how's that going and what's happening? Yeah. So we have a very strange procedural posture. We were getting ready. We represent a couple of groups of alumni and some of those alumni have children who are at some point going to be eligible to apply to TJ. And at that point we were, when we started working on this about a year ago now, we were looking at different avenues of challenging the admissions process through Fairfax County Public Schools and the Fairfax County School Board. And while we were doing that legwork, figuring out what causes of action we might bring to compel the, the county to change its ways, if you will, the county responding to Black Lives Matter movement and sort of everything that was happening last summer preemptively took some steps of its own. And as part of those steps that put forward this idea of a lottery process where, or a hybrid lottery. So you could have some kids that got in through testing or some kids who maybe got in through, um, like yes, a holistic our viewers review. can't see, but I think Kristen's waving at her kids. Outside no, I'm waving at a, a contractor who's oh. in for the day. <laughs> We have a lot going on here, Alan. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, so we were looking at all of this and the county had proposed this hybrid lottery system where a certain percentage of slots at each middle school would be set aside for admission to TJ. So, you know, the intent was looking at different geographical areas. We could ensure that certain kids were able to come from each school. 
Um, and so they went forward. They got rid of the exam. They got rid of the application fee, but they said it was for one year because also it was during the time of COVID and they were trying to figure out like how they would proctor this exam. So they did, they took those sort of remedial actions and a group formed called the Coalition for TJ. And it's a group of people who are adamantly opposed to the changes that the county made. And they very strongly subscribe to this theory of merit-based admissions. And these kids have been prepping for the last three years. And it's really unfair to take away from them the ability to take an entrance exam and kill it. So they filed suit in. Oh, wow. So the yeah, other side struck the other first. Side. They, they struck first. They filed in the state. And then they filed in Eastern District of Virginia in federal court alleging Just that it's on rocket docket. So that's going forward fast. Yes. And their lead spokeswoman, if you will, um, is a woman named Asra Q. Nomani, who I encourage you to Google. She's quite famous. <laughs> Listeners, I don't know if you should Google that, but if you do, you can do so at not at our <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> um, okay. Well, it, sh- she has an interesting. Uh, she's the lawyer. Or she's the lead plaintiff, like the main plaintiff. She's a high up person in this organization called Coalition for TJ, which Got is it. the plaintiff and the state court action. And these are all alumni as well. So this is like no. So you know? her deal. She has a current student at the high school. In fact, he's probably graduating like next week. He's a senior. Um, She's affiliated with other people who have current students of, I think, like a sophomore or something. And they formed this organization to fight back against wokeness and critical race theory. And so Asra's thing is she is a single Muslim mom for Trump. Hmm. This is a non-political podcast. Kristen, so let's keep it on the non-political level. Yep, no, I hear you. She's um, she's a former Wall Street Journal reporter. She's very active on Twitter. Oh. And so she got involved in all of this by being very active on Twitter about uh, yeah. critical race theory and everything else. Got it. Um, and so she, through that vocalness, attracted some other people and they banded together to form this coalition and they are understandably given her perspectives quite upset about the the procedures that the school board has adopted so anyway so they filed suit our firm together with asian advance asian americans advancing justice um the naacp legal defense fund latino justice um definitely forgetting people casa virginia nakasek virginia a wide coalition of both local and national organizations sought leave in the federal court to file an amicus brief. So all of these organizations came together. We filed a joint amicus brief and a, and a motion. That motion has not been granted yet. It's still pending. Um, but so our client and the organizations that we have partnered with are all saying effectively that the actions that the school board took are not unconstitutional 
or may be made somewhat permanent. So this is like actually going on right now. Oh yeah, yes. Let's see, all right. Well, that was awesome. I did not expect it to see. So I go into random tangents about your high school and we get there. Yeah, we so get there. We may have to have you on again to talk about this when we um, get some results or feedback from the courts. Well, so I am not a litigator, right? My singular talent in life is browbeating other people into doing the things that I want them to do that I'm not capable of doing myself. So I am obviously very passionate about this. I think every child should have the opportunity to go to the school and I have exactly no idea how we get there. So Arthur Luke is the person that you really want to have on your show or Megan Peeper or Christine Choi. We have a, a big team here of actual proper lawyers who know how to litigate this and are really running the thing. Um, and then I just pipe in and I'm like, I talked to another parent at the side of the soccer field and they have a, are you in the district? Could you, could your kids actually also go there? Wow. Yeah. So the crazy thing is my kids are in Fairfax County public schools and they are in the advanced academic programming program, which is the prime feeder into TJ. And they happen to be slotted through no fault of my own. Um, this is totally unintentional. They are slotted to go to the middle school that is the number one feeder into TJ. Uh, public school, do they, is, do you have yeah. the bus to go there or is it like this, like the school from your neighborhood? No, so they will have to get, I mean, they were going to have to get bused to middle school either way, but they're going to be bused to Rachel Carson, which is the, the primary feeder by virtue of being in this AAP program. All right, well, as much as I want to keep talking about high school, I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners why I really had you on the podcast, which is an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, and you can not be humble about the type of lawyer that you are, because although you don't litigate, you do do a lot of other important legal work. And principally, that is on behalf of multiple vaccine manufacturers who will remain nameless. You were actually one of the principal people doing the negotiations with various governments, including the US government on behalf of these manufacturers to bring the COVID vaccine to the market and to the public. So on behalf of myself and my family and our <laughs> listeners, thank you for what you did. Uh, and it is amazing. So I want you to, with, in the constraints of what you can say confidentially or not confidentially, tell us how that came about what happened, how you became that person and how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. Um, it has been a wild, what is, what is it? 15 months? It's been a wild 15 months for the entire world. Um, but my work life happened to be entirely subsumed by this. Um, but so, okay, so here's my story. Um, my day job is not a litigator. As you noted, I am a life sciences transactional lawyer. Um, sometimes I tell people I'm a drug dealer just to see what they're going to do. Cause it's all true. I do deals for this drugs. Is, this is a very family friendly pod. In addition to being non-political, we are also family friendly. So you're a legal. Evan is never going to invite me back. <laughs> all right. Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. Um, yeah. So my, my specialty in life, aside from browbeating people into doing things is, um, negotiating deals between small biotech companies that maybe have one really interesting product that they're looking at, but they don't necessarily know how to get a product all the way to market. So then they partner with a big pharmaceutical company that knows exactly how to get products to market, 
but maybe doesn't have the research and development arm that a biotech might. So very often you'll see these two companies sort of come together in a license agreement or a collaboration agreement, and they figure out how to work together to bring something new to market. So a lot of my work historically has been on things like cancer treatments or um, gene therapies, all, all the new sort of experimental medicines that you hear about in the news where they say like this study has shown that we may be able to cure this particular type of blindness with the replacement of this gene. That's the type of stuff that I work on. Um, my degree in very, electrical engineering. Very insignificant, Kristen. Very yeah, insignificant. Yeah. Come on. Um, All right. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, I get to, e, how does electrical engineering totally get to life sciences? Yeah, nothing. It's completely yeah. useless. Um, but I get to see and be a part of some really, really amazing technologies, which ever since I was a kid, that was part of the reason I chose TJ over Catholic school. I have always loved science. I can't do math to save my life. So the electrical engineering thing really didn't work out for me but I love science and I love knowing how things work. And so to do these deals, literally, I have to know at some level how these therapies work and I get to learn on a deal by deal basis. And that's really cool. And the other thing that's really cool about my job is that nobody hates anybody when they're doing these deals. Cause the whole point of the deal is for a biotech and a pharma to figure out how to work together for the next 15 to 20 years to save lives. People are excited about that. Yeah. So you're describing the exact opposite of my existence, which is <laughs> everyone hates everyone else and argues all day long. So yeah. this is great. I can understand why you are more smiley than I am. Yeah. Yes, it is. I mean, there are some like touch and go moments, right? But everybody has this common objective that if we figure our proverbial S out, we can do something to change humanity. So by and large, people want to get it done. So that's sort of the baseline of where we'd start. Well, the other piece that sort of coalesced into this, when I was a baby associate, a very senior partner told me to figure out ways that I could be useful. He said, the way to survive in a law firm is to figure out what you can do to be useful to all of your colleagues, because then that will translate into what you can do that is useful to all of your clients. So think about something that you can learn that nobody else knows. And another senior partner said, you clerked at the court of federal claims, you should learn all about IP rights associated with government contracting. And I was like, hmm, okay. This sounds like some practical advice, which is usually, uh, so I say hard to come by at big <laughs> law firms. Yes. Those are my two pieces of advice. Figure out how to be useful, figure out how to learn something that nobody else knows. Cause that in turn will make you useful. Um, and so that's what I did. And I developed this like little internal cottage industry of being the, the attorney in the firm who was the go-to person for government, U.S. government-funded research and development. And it's a tiny little corner area of the law. The statutes are very strangely written. Nobody else cares about any of this stuff. So it was a good place for me to learn. And it meant that periodically I would get calls from different lawyers in the firm that I would never have ordinarily worked with, but they needed this. Um, and so over, over time I became that person. And so then all the, and it's funny, we merged, um, with another firm, as you well know, Evan, a couple of years ago called Kay Scholler. And one of our colleagues that came over from Kay Scholler, who shall remain nameless, but if he listens to this, he'll know exactly who he is. Oh, he better be downloading this. He better yes, be downloading this. I'm going to send it to him. Um, 
when we first met and I like explained, I'm a licensing collaboration lawyer in life sciences. I have this weird specialty area of the IP rights associated with government funded research and development, which comes up in life sciences a lot with things like the National Institutes of Health. He thought to himself at the time, which he then later told me that that was the most useless specialty he'd ever heard of. Like, who cares? That the that's not going to bring in any projects. That's like, that's not that interesting, but okay. Bravo kid. Like, look at you, you, you learned that. Um, and at the time he was like, literally, I don't even know what to do with this woman. I'm never going to be able to find anything for her today. And I, I wasn't important at that point. Um, so then anyway, you know, a once every hundred year pandemic hits and, and all of a sudden, boom, that's specialty on earth. <laughs> I have job security. Um, because at that point, the U.S. government had the most free-flowing funds available for research and development of life sciences of pharmaceutical products, whether it was not just the COVID vaccine, but also COVID therapeutics um, and all the sort of medical technical devices that go around the treatment of COVID. So at that moment, I found myself in this very strange position of being one of the few people in the world who knew how to get that money and what the implications were going to be. Yeah. So I think I undersold it here. So you just not, didn't just do the vaccines. You did also like the antibody treatments and like the COVID related mask stuff and the ventilators. Like this is amazing. Yeah. So I think I counted by the end of 2020, and it wasn't just me. I want to, I want to be very clear about that. Um, cause you're making me sound extraordinary and, and That's it's my job, not- my job. You're my podcast guest. <laughs> I get, make you sound, um, I know we know it was the team, but I appreciate it. Well, it wasn't just me at the firm. So, you know, there Chuck Blanchard, Kristen, there were less people. Um, but I alone touched about 20 different COVID products. An appropriate, an appropriate touching family yes. friendly yes. podcast. So how many I, products? What do you 20. say? 20? Yeah. Wow. So we worked on as a, so I worked on two of the vaccines. I worked on many of the antibody products and then a whole host, as you can imagine with COVID being a very significant respiratory issue, um, we worked on repurposing dozens of pre-existing respiratory products for the treatment of acute COVID, um, and it was right at the moment where BARDA, the Biomedical Research and Development Authority, which is part of the Health and Human Services, got a huge bolus of funding from Congress. Um, and so they were just looking to throw money at any avenue of treating the disease. This is awesome. So again, we all thank you for me not having COVID and now yes. being fully vaccinated. This yes. is- Amazing. So what are you doing now? So are there new products coming out? Is the Um, vaccine negotiations, are they still going on? Like what are like next steps? Yeah. So obviously several of the vaccines have received emergency use authorization in the United States, which is fantastic. That's how we're all getting vaccinated. Um, At some point those will have to roll over into proper approvals. So one of the legal aspects of the vaccine regime is that it's an emergency use authorization it can only be provided and administered while there is a, an ongoing pandemic declaration. 
When the WHO changes its designation, the U.S. also will have to internally change its designation for purposes of the EUA. Then at that point, the the vaccines would not be usable. Um, And so they have to go through this separate process of filing a biologics license application, which is the traditional regulatory pathway um, for the vaccine. So, yeah, so we're in this weird EUA process. They are still running trials, everybody's waiting on the pediatric emergency use authorizations and then subsequent approvals. Um, That's primarily keeping our regulatory practice going, I think. Um, My role right now is largely focused on donations. So, you know, we talked a little bit about how the U.S. had by far the most amount of research and development funding available for the vaccines. That in turn, contributed to the U.S. getting massive quantities of vaccines in the short term. Now, there are a whole host of other things. Um, So, for example, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, as is widely reported, require some cold chain storage. The the, The more profitable nations, the nations that have more money, they tended to be able to implement that cold storage more quickly. The lower and middle income countries, that's, that's a significant logistical challenge. Yeah. So they needed the more traditional non-mRNA vaccines like the Johnson and Johnson one. Yeah. Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca, there's the Sinovac. Um, But so, you know, we got Pfizer and Moderna in part because the U S has the resources to implement that cold chain storage. Um, The location of manufacturing facilities helps for Pfizer, they have manufacturing facilities here. Moderna does as well. So in any event, the U.S. obviously got their vaccines quite quickly. The rest of the world has not. Um, And so a large part of my work now is facilitating donations from one government to the next, which is crazy. Um, Wow. I, yeah, it's, it's not like, so deal lawyers tend to have precedent documents where we say like, okay, here's a license and collaboration deal that we did for a clinical stage asset. Like, go look at that one, see how they negotiated it there and see if there's any concepts that we can port over. I have no precedent for a donation from yeah, one, one government, to, government another. to another government. I especially don't have precedents when like some of these governments are recognized by some governments, but not other governments. It's all. Oh, that's super interesting, interesting too. Yeah, so it's all, all right, very so, geopolitical. So I assume you're fully vaccinated. I right? am fully vaccinated. I take my oldest, who turned twelve earlier this year, I take her for her second dose tomorrow. Wow, that's and then my son, my thirteen-year-old uh, just got his first dose. So that's a lot. That's cool. Yes, so we are. Where, are you guys going on vacation this summer when everyone's vaccinated? So we have two younger kids, um, an 11 year old and an eight year old. So the younger two obviously can't get vaccinated yet. Um, we were supposed to go to France last summer because my parents, as I told you, they abandoned me at 16 and they live in England and we were going to go to France and have a glorious time, but so we're still not getting on airplanes um, because the younger two have not been vaccinated. And as someone, I know that we are not in a political podcast and I know that there are varying approaches to vaccination and and theories around COVID. I will tell you as someone who has spent the entirety of her, like literally every waking minute in the last year, thinking about COVID, I am very afraid of COVID and particularly afraid of my children having COVID because of the long-term effects on heart and lung tissue. 
just gonna put that out there um <laughs> be very afraid people no, i'm no, very afraid. afraid well i have friends who think i'm ridiculous because that's all right there's everybody all across the this it's the ideology spectrum so you are not going on a plane yet we are not going on planes until everyone is fully vaccinated so instead Evan, we have rented an RV. I was just about to say road trip. <laughs> we have rented an RV. We are going on a road trip. We have never done this before, but my husband used to drive fire trucks in college. So I'm like, you can do it. He can do it's it. Fine. You drive. He's, yeah. He's going to drive the whole time. Um, and we How are big? Going... How many feet? Is it a huge foot. one? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So how long do you have it? Uh, 10 days, I think. We're still working out the logistics because things are like booking up very fast for yeah, campsites. Oh, yeah, it's insane. Oh, and gas. Like, uh, gas is expensive. So where are you going to do like national parks? Like where are you going? So we think we're going to Niagara Falls because we've never been there. Even though I hear the Canadian side is better and I'm not willing to deal with the border crossing right now. And then we're going to drive from there through Vermont and New Hampshire. My geography is terrible. I actually don't know which comes first from Yeah, you're you're in what Maryland or DC or Virginia? I'm in Virginia so you're going like, up. Yeah, we're so. going up. All right, first we're yeah. going like northwest and then we're going all the way across to Bar Harbor to Maine. Yep. And then we're gonna come gorgeous home. area. Awesome. When so, do you guys leave? Um, July 9th. Right. And that is how we're gonna celebrate because I turned 40 July 13th. Oh, so we're yeah. gonna be in a magic RV. It's gonna be me, my husband, <laughs> three kids, each other. and the dog. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a Wow. We, I look at RVs longingly, like I want to go yes. in an RV, but then I come home after work and my, I have three dogs, two kids and a wife, and they'll probably like, they'd want to kill me after being in a day in an RV. So I'd probably have to go in the RV by myself or with, no. with just my dogs. No, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. No. Don't tell me this. We've been home. My kids are still home. Because well, you're probably not as annoying as I am. So no. my guess is your family appreciates you more than they appreciate my, my annoyingness. So no, I think they're going to be time. really annoyed with me because as you know, in big law, it feels like you can never go on vacation. Um, yeah, what's a vacation? Yes. We it's yeah, yeah. Oh, my phone's on middle of the night. Yeah. So probably I will end up being on the phone all the time and they'll be super mad at me. Cause I'll be like, you can't talk right now. Yeah. I'm on the phone. <laughs> Keep driving. Quiet. Yeah quietly put your headphones back on stop the dog barking oh my god stop the dog barking pull over pull over yeah. i gotta go i gotta talk outside <laughs> no, you're gonna be on the freeway and you're gonna just be like pull over i gotta do a call that's right gotta find so, a telephone booth look there's a payphone. i can go talk in that booth i know they don't even know what a payphone is they're like what is that thing i bet you will see a payphone actually you know what and the next time i have you on the podcast i want it to be after this rv trip oh yeah okay. and i want to talk about whether or not you saw a payphone all right we will look for payphones you pay attention all right. Well, I think we are out of time, Kristen, but this has been awesome. If you take away nothing else from my story today, I just want everybody to know the sheer number of people who gave up their whole lives for that vaccine last year was nothing short of breathtaking. And I have never been so proud of humanity as I was when I saw how hard people were working to bring this to market. And I played a very small role in all of this, but I mean, thousands of people gave up everything last year in their lives to work on this. And for all the big pharma gets a bad rap, every one of those companies that I worked with, I was just floored by the people and the level of dedication working on it. So just want people to take that away. I know that people are fundamentally good. That, look, that's the best PSA we've had here on this TMT time. So thank you, Kristen. Great. 
Yep. Uh, awesome. Thanks for having me. This is super fun.